I'm gonna live forever I'm gonna cross that river I'm gonna kiss tomorrow now You're gonna wanna hold me Just like I always told you You're gonna miss me when I'm gone Nobody here will ever find me But I will Good morning, good morning, good morning. A little Billy Joe Shaver kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Presented by Lone Star Beer. Cable Smith here with you today. Thank you so much for dropping by and spending a part of your week with me. Man, where has time gone? I can't believe hunting season is nearly here. September 1st, opening day of dove season gets me all kinds of amped up. It really symbols the beginning of fall, although if you live in Texas, it's still hot as hell. But hunting season is here, and just looking at the way 2020 has gone, uh, I can't think of anything better to take our minds off of just this hell of a year, as uh, Parker McCollum puts it. But uh, we've got a great show lined up for you today, so you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley thermos that Granddaddy passed down years and years ago because we are ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we'll be joined by Field and Stream Shotgun Editor, uh, also DU Shotgun Editor. Uh, don't want to forget about that. But our old friend Phil Borgeli will be here. And when it comes to shotgunning, I can't think of anyone who's written more quality pieces on shotgunning than Phil. And since dove season is essentially here, why not focus on a few things that could potentially make us all better wing shooters, right? Uh, so we're going to do that with Phil. Also, something that is totally subjective. I mean, it's just our opinions, but uh, I think that some of y'all's opinions will probably fall in line with ours. Maybe yours will be totally different. I don't know, but we're going to rank the most common quarries or species that wing shooters pursue in terms of difficulty or which one's the sportiest. Is it dove, ducks, quail, pheasant, geese, or otherwise, um, just to name a few. Uh, so we're going to do that at the bottom of the hour because there is one on, on my mind that is hands down uh, way more difficult than all of the others. And so we're going to get into that as well. Then uh, at the bottom of the hour, a very special in-studio guest might be our, I think he's only our second in-studio guest that we've had since COVID started, but Joshua Ray Walker will be here. If you don't know Joshua, you will, because his music and songwriting is amazing. Uh, he's got the voice of an angel, I'm not kidding you, and you're going to find out for yourself here in a little bit, because he's bringing his guitar and will play us a few songs off of the new record. Uh, he's also the uh, lead guitarist for the Ottoman Turks, so you might be familiar with some of their tunes, but I'm certainly excited to have him in studio, and we'll mix in a little outdoor conversation as well with Josh coming up here in just a little bit. So some brand new tunes coming at you, and uh, some great wing shooting conversation on the docket for today. Let's do this. Let's work in a quick break here. Oh, you know what? First, let's do a giveaway. Almost forgot. I've got a Stealth Cam Fusion. This is their brand new wireless cell camera that they just released. I think the MSRP is, is like 200 bucks. So when it comes to uh, affordability in a cell camera, it's right there as one of the 
most consumer-friendly priced ones, that's for sure, but also the most user-friendly on the market. Um, data plans have come down astronomically since the days of the, uh, the, the early cell cameras. And so the Fusion is the evolution in that technology. Uh, absolutely love mine. And we're going to give one away today to, um, well, everyone's eligible. Just email the word StealthCam, that's StealthCam, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. And we'll run that for a week. So if it takes you a week to listen to the podcast, you know, maybe you didn't catch it on the radio, that's fine too. You still have time to uh, throw your hat in the ring for your chance to win the Stealth Cam Fusion. Coming up next, Field and Streams' Phil Bourgeli joins us to talk some wing shooting on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hey guys, Cable here for Quiet Cat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. Quiet Cat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a Quiet Cat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, Quiet Cat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. And I was alone there with no birds inside. I did everything that I could and went to the roost at night. I don't know where it started or where it might end And I was in danger of being scumped once again I was Of course it had to be looking for Dove in all the wrong places My good friend and my buddy James Yates His spoof there on Looking for Love, classic country tune Cable Smith here Welcome, everybody, back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Thanks for being a part of this week's broadcast. We're about to talk some wing shooting as dove season is literally right around the corner, opening up on September 1st across the Lone Star State, many other states as well. Uh, Before we discuss a little wing shooting with Field and Stream shotgun editor Phil Borgeli, this segment of the presentation Brought to you by what I'm going to be wearing in the dove field. It's the First Light Guide Light short. Literally been living in it all summer long. That's not going to change with hunting season opening up. It's going to be hot as hell in Texas. And I'm going to be nice and cool in the guide light short. From the backcountry to the boat to the bar. And everywhere in between, the guide light short has you covered. You can find it at firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. 
All right. Well, let's bring on our first guest, a longtime friend of the show, but uh, it's been a little while since he's joined us. It is Field and Streams shotgun editor, Phil Borgeli. Thanks for being here, Phil. Thank you. Yeah, it has been a little while. Yeah. Uh, I, good to talk to you again. I think 2016, I was just looking on the website, and so it's been a few years, but I've always enjoyed our discussions on various aspects of shotgunning over the years, and with dove season nearly here, thank God, uh, I figured we should make it happen again. So, I mean, let's be honest, though, I could I could have used quarantine to really hone in on my shotgunning skills, but I haven't shot one time other than that uh, couple turkeys. So what percentage of hunters would you say do the same thing every year and then wonder why they shot five boxes of shells opening morning of dove season? Um, almost all of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I'm... Uh... I, I sat out the first oh, couple, you know, it was turkey season, and then there was a couple couple months when I didn't couldn't get out of the club, so I got a late start on shooting. And I actually just followed this last week. I finally quit shooting my target guns and got out a couple hunting guns and and shot some skeet and sporting clays with those. And I realized it was you know dove hunting is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like it's you know similar to riding a bike after the first five or ten misses you know you start to get into that groove and it's like oh yeah i remember how to do this but on a serious note how frequent how frequently would one have to practice in order to make a noticeable difference in your shell to bird ratio you know i have a hard time believing shooting the sporting clay course once before opening day is going to make that much of a difference well it's better than nothing. Yeah. And you'll you'll find out if you remember to clean your gun <laughs> and, and put the plug back in it and uh-huh. stuff like that if you go out and shoot it once. So there's there's value to it. Um I would say next year, if you start a month before, six weeks before and try to shoot once a week, uh you would notice a difference as provided that you're you know, practicing the right stuff. Um I think that skeet is a is a great game for practicing dove hunting. Uh-huh. Uh, it doesn't take as long as sporting clays. It costs less. You get all this all the shots that you see in the dove field, except for like an overhead type shot. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of good electric traps now that are fairly inexpensive and are remote enabled. So you can, if you have a place to shoot, you can set up dove type shots with one of those champion traps and and throw incomers and crossers and mm-hmm. and practice those. Uh, but I'd say if you shoot three, four boxes of shells, even or start with two and work your way up uh, five or six times before the season starts, you will notice a difference. Hmm. Okay. Especially if you are practicing the right things. Yeah. So give us three things that you would say are the right things that hunters can do to put more birds in the bag and, Sure. end up swearing uh, significantly less in the process. Now, uh, the first thing, I mean, you know, 90% of shotgun shooting is to keep your eye on the target and your head on the gun all the way through the shot. You know, it, it's uh, one of the biggest causes of missing is stopping the gun. We all know that, and people always are, you know, tell you don't stop your swing. But the reason you stop your swing is because you looked back at the gun. That, that stops a gun dead. So as long as your eye stays on the target, your hands will take the gun where it needs to go. Uh, and so that's the, that's the first thing. That's the main thing. Second thing is the gun and the target should move in time with one another. Uh, you know, most 
people want to move the gun way too fast, and that creates all kinds of problems. Um, you know, or move in time with the target, or if you're swinging through it just fast enough, think you know, one mile an hour faster than the target so that you catch it and then get through it. Uh, and and the, the last thing, and I've been thinking about this myself quite a bit this summer, um, I've been I've been going back and shooting more swing through type shooting, which is how most people shoot mm-hmm. who aren't target shooters. You know, they start behind the target, go through it, uh, which is great and it works. It gets you on the line of the target really well, but it also uh, creates the possibility of blocking out your view of the target with the gun. What target shooters call occluding the target. And when you do that, as soon as the barrel blocks out the target, you don't see it. You look at the barrel and the gun stops. Uh, so rather than thinking of swinging through the bird, I've been telling myself to think about underlining the bird where I keep the, the muzzles below the bird the whole way through. And that way I never lose sight of the target. And that lets my eyes tell my hands exactly where the gun needs to go. Huh, so those sense. are the three things I would say head on the stock. eye on the target is one match. The speed of the bird is two and underline the target is three. Okay. Yeah. I think the, the last one you mentioned there, uh, something that I haven't really thought about underlining the target. Uh, so I'll certainly it's take the most that away. frustrating miss because what happens when you do that, the last thing you see is the gun ahead of the bird. That's what you think you saw. Right. And then the gun stop. When you shoot behind, you, you that's that's what's that's the image that's left in your mind. But what actually happened is the gun stopped and you shot behind it and above it. And uh, and someone will tell you that and you won't believe it. You'll think, well, oh, I have to shoot farther in front of the next one because I was way ahead of that one and I missed it. But a lot of the times uh, you think you're in front of it and you're not. And it's it's a very frustrating miss because you can't figure out why it's happening. But a lot of the time, and it's just a, just a fraction of a second, the gun blocks out the target. Your eye can go to the gun and you can stop it dead. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take much. You keep the gun under the bird, and you can see everything. You can see exactly where the gun needs to go, and you just let your let your eyes take your hands there and stay out of the way. Yeah, it's 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 all about being fluid. I think um, I I notice in my failures in shotgunning, and there's plenty of them uh, that when it, when it feels choppy, um, or like you said, when you when you take your eye off the target and you're looking at the barrel, you've interrupted that fluidity and that's when misses happen. Yeah. Shooting is only hard if you do it the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, if you do it right, it's pretty easy. Um, but doing, doing it right is, is the trick. And um, I struggle with that just as much as anybody else because you're, uh, you get your, your conscious mind involved and or you start to get frustrated or competitive or whatever. And then, all kinds of bad things happen. It's a lot like golf, except much more fun. You know, I, I recently, I recently got big, back into golf uh, uh-huh. after basically when I started having kids. My son is mm-hmm. seven, my girls are five. I told my wife, "Look, if I have four or five hours to kill, I'm going hunting or fishing. I'm not, I'm not playing golf anymore with these little ones running around because family's important, right? Well, they're old yeah. enough now to where they can kind of do more stuff on their own and." don't need constant attention. So, um, this during quarantine, I was like, I'm going to start playing golf again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you want to talk about frustrating. (laughs) Yes. I I stay away from golf. I figure I already have a frustrating, expensive pastime in shooting. Yeah. Uh, but 
I do. You know, one of, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. One of the books, a great book about shooting is Zen Putting. Hmm. Uh, the the mental demands of shotgunning and golf are like identical. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and a lot of the eye hand stuff is too. Even though you know the golf ball is not moving and the target is, a lot of it is the same. You, you take a golf book, and there's a million self help golf books. There's not nearly as many about shooting. And you, if you cross out golf club and put in a shotgun, <clears throat> uh, it's the same thing. Yeah, that certainly uh, certainly holds true. So I would say that if you had spent your summer playing golf instead of shooting, you're better off than if you spent your summer neither playing golf nor shooting. <laughs> well, I think my hair is starting to fall out a little bit more, too, I've noticed on the course. And <laughs> lots of swearing is going on out there. Jeez, I forgot how frustrating it was. You know, it is, uh, and, and that's one of the biggest lessons is you got to let go of the misses, and that's not easy to do. Yeah. But if you talk to the... They're really good, you know. The Olympic level targets you. Got to, you got to first. You have to accept that, accept that everybody's going to miss, and you think about why you miss, so you don't do it again, and you go on. And that's it's easy for me to say, but yeah, it's frustrating because mm-hmm. uh, because you still tend to miss for the same reasons over and over, and it it gets to you. But uh, I think yeah, my gotta... retriever is a little more forgiving than my my golf buddies. She doesn't <laughs> she doesn't open her mouth and say, "Oh man, you really suck." Yeah. Uh, but she's probably thinking that, you know. It might. So. Um, yeah, my dogs never, um, they never give me that look that people talk about when I miss. Yeah, um, they're just happy to be there. They are. So, yeah. um, what's the most difficult shot in wing shooting? Is straight at you, crossing shot, going away, or some combination of those? Uh, yes, all of them. Um, <laughs> you know. I feel I like think, if a bird is flying, like a dove, for example, is flying straight across me, uh, that's the one that I'm going to have the most success with. If it's you know not a terribly far shot, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the crossing shots give a lot of people trouble just because you know because of the various things we talked about. You know, they try to measure lead and look back at the. Well, gun I didn't mean the first shell. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that happens to you. You miss, and then you're like. Then you have to, then you stop thinking and you just react with yeah. that second shot. And that's why people hit with the second shot and not the first one, which the first one's all deliberate and they're thinking and, and that never goes well. And I got to confess that my, one of the shots of all the shots in the field that is the hardest for me is a dove floating into a spinner. Mm. Um, and it's because I take too much time and I think too much. And, you know, that's that those birds are just coming in so slowly and they're kind of, bobbing a little bit when they come into the mojo. And Usually the second shot again gets them. Yeah, second shot, oh yeah, second shot's easy because then they flare and, and, and you just go, you know, move the gun without thinking about it and then shoot them. But the first shot, dove coming into a spinner, I hate to admit that that's what I miss a lot of or way too many of, but I do. Um, but I think, you know, long crossing shots give people trouble just because you have to know how to lead a target and a lot of people want to shoot a shotgun like a rifle looking down the barrel and really get the muzzle out in front of the bird you need to be able to look at the target and have the gun in your peripheral vision and that's you know that that's something that takes practice to learn to do Mm -hmm. and so that gives people trouble um i think one of the shots that is deceptively hard is straight away uh the birds that flush your feet and go straight away um it's a small target it's easy to shoot takes a, a controlled move and and it's easy to shoot over those birds 
Because you actually need to aim under them on the going away shot. You need to see the whole bird over the gun, usually. Um, And uh, the advice I I got, when you mount the gun, you think about kind of sticking it with a bay. If there's a bayonet on the end of the muzzle that you're kind of going out and and trying to stick the bird with it. Uh, But And people tend to take that shot too fast, tend to take it too soon and too fast, and that doesn't help either. Uh, but that is uh, that's a shot that is harder than harder than it seems. Then you add some distance to it, and it, it gets to be quite difficult. And and it's also it's harder shot to make a clean kill on because you're shooting it through the back of the bird. Yeah, yeah. So hmm. um, that's the one. You know, I, I and I do a lot of pheasant hunting, which is a lot. That of pheasant was exactly stuff. what comes to mind. Yeah, and I will. Uh, you know, long going away shots. I just try not to take those anymore, right? <laughs> um, because it's may not end well. Uh, you know, end, ends with a chase rather than rather than a bird in hand. So, yeah. um, and of course, a crossing shot might be harder technically, but you've got a lot of a lot of vitals to hit if you're shooting at a bird that's crossing. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you put the pellets in the front end, so. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to stick with my first answer, which is they're all hard or, or as the shooters like to say, they're, they're all easy, but they're all easy to miss. Right. Well, they're certainly easy to miss for me. Um, but there's nothing that excites me, excites me more than opening day of dove season. It kicks off everything that I love about the fall and signals the beginning of hunting season. Uh, my kids will never go to school on September 1st. I don't know why that's not a, a, state holiday in texas it damn sure should be uh but they're all jacked up and and looking forward to donuts and seeing dad miss and watching the dog pick up one when i finally hit one um so it's uh yes you know well i i grew up you know we were until i think it was like our eighth or ninth dove season doves doves were songbirds all the time i was growing up until i was like 50 some years old Mm-hmm. I've, I've done a lot of catching up these last few years, um, and I, I absolutely love it. Uh, I used to have to travel out of state to do my dove hunting, and now I can I can hunt them here at home, and it it's really good. I love it. Uh, and that's interesting because generally, you know, we don't see that kind of legislation go that direction. We usually see our rights stripped away as a hunting community, not uh, opening up more opportunity. <laughs> You know, it's the funny thing about it, and people were just, you know, if, if you don't come from a state where doves are songbirds, you cannot understand how worked up people get about it. Uh, and and then we got a season, and it's like that was just the end of it. You know, no, you don't hear there's there's no more complaining about dove hunting. It's just like it, it's funny. It just overnight, it's it's. The the, uh, hmm. the controversy ended, and now we hunt doves, and it's uh, so yeah, it's um, well hard to explain. Kudos to the sportsmen and women and politicians in Iowa that that got that done for you guys. I know Michigan still doesn't have a dove season, um, which is uh, mind boggling. So it is too bad. Um, and we have really good dove hunting here. Um, yeah, we will we will in a good year last couple of years the weather's not been particularly good but in a good year we'll shoot doves in the cornfields all the way through october hmm. and uh it, it can be you know as good as anywhere here so 
Yeah. I am I am very glad that we have a season. Yeah, it it took you know two or three tries over the many years, and finally, I think eight years, eight eight or nine years ago, we got a season, and and since then it's been very popular with our hunters. Uh, and except for I I can I can think of one anti dove hunting letter I've seen in the paper since we got a season, but and before it was just it was the biggest controversy you could imagine. Well, you can't. It, it's just it is impossible to imagine if you're from a state where there's always been dove hunting what it's like, but it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, but it's over and we have our dove season and it's, uh, it's awesome. A good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Uh, I want to sure. come back and, and talk about load specifically and, and which quarry makes for the, the sportiest uh, wing shooting. Sound good. Absolutely. You bet. Perfect. We'll put in a break there. <clears throat> Well, Phil, thanks for sticking around, man. I certainly appreciate it. Sure. Um, talking about dove load specifically, what what would you say is the most popular shot size uh, among hunters? I don't know. Uh, I know. What people, I think I was seven and a half and eights. I guess is what what people shoot. I've been uh, I shoot a lot of steel at doves, not not because uh, we have to, although there were originally there was a steel shot mandate in our love season, but because I get tired of people running down steel shot and uh, there's a lot of misinformation about it. I've shot steel sevens at doves since our season started and killed them just fine. Yeah. Um, it's a little harder when you get down into the smaller gauges, but I've shot doves with my, my 28 and steel uh, this year. But uh, I think, you know, seven and a half and eights, uh, you know, we can talk about that. It's when I tell you that seven and a half and eight shot are actually the diameters are within spec of one another. It takes something out of the argument. Uh. There's a lot there. They're, they can be the same size uh, and still be spec to seven and a half or eight. So um, a lot of that is, you know, as we're talking about with golf, a lot of that is, is mental. Uh, if you're confident in that it says eight on the box and that makes you feel better about shooting at doves, then you'll probably hit more. Mm, okay um, so you would but, say that as far as like if you had to rank the importance of shot size versus uh payload the, the amount of pellets or fps feet per second uh, shot size would be minimal yeah i would say between between seven and a half and eights uh i, mean, I suppose you can shoot nines out of a small bore gun over a water hole or something like that but um i don't if, if you keep your shots within reason um killing doves isn't hard they are they're tougher than they look they take you have to shoot them you have to shoot the front end of the dove uh, because i've seen a lot of them fly off too but uh if you just you know if you make sure that you shoot and it's hard to do on opening day when everybody's shooting and and it's fun to hear your gun go off but uh <laughs> and if you keep your shots within 30 yards just about anything will kill a dove mm-hmm well, and I'm glad you mentioned steel because uh, uh, Kent Cartridge is a longtime sponsor of our show, mm-hmm. and I'm shooting their steel dove uh, this year. Uh, shot it last year. That was a, my first real foray into shooting only steel shot, um, uh-huh. and, and I didn't notice a difference. When I actually hit them, they died you know, they just do. like you were shooting them with lead shot. They do, and uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife did a big study, a double-blind study. I recall that, yeah. That uh, – Pretty much established it, you know, what I was saying earlier. If, if people keep their shots within 30 yards, 
they kill doves no matter what they shoot them with. They also, uh, remember it was an interesting study, they also established that most people are shooting too tight a choke for doves that mm. improve cylinders. You know, at the ranges, most people can... can well, it's because people want to shoot them at 50 yards still. So. Yeah, it's not shooting at 50 <laughs> yards. And there's people who can. Yeah. Um, and I'll do it in the right circumstances, which are rare, because I don't like losing doves. Doves disappear when they hit the ground, and uh, and I don't hunt with a retriever, so I, I try to, you know, I don't want to lose as few birds as possible, and I'm pretty good at it, but part of that is, is taking good shots, mm-hmm. and um, and, I, and I also, I, I enjoy watching doves decoy, Yeah. Uh, since since a lot of times we're not hunting, you know, it's just, just me and someone else are usually, you know, we go out by ourselves to private land after and and so we can shoot birds over decoys safely where you can't always in a dove field uh and i really enjoy watching birds decoy uh-huh. no matter no matter what kind of birds they are and uh <clears throat> so as a result I, I tend to take pretty good shots well phil and that certainly comes with experience and it, you know for me it just kind of depends on how the day's going if the birds are scarce uh i might take a more marginal shot if they're everywhere <laughs> then i'll wait on the perfect one Uh, We are going to knock out a quick break here. When we come back, we'll switch gears and rank what we each believe to be the sportiest version of wing shooting that the hunters participate in. Uh, That segment of the show brought to you by Lone Star Beer and the Rio Hade Mexican-style lager, Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. We'll be right back with more from Field & Stream shotgun editor Phil Borgeli on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hey guys, Cable here for Coonstopper. If you're tired of losing corn or protein to those pesky raccoons, well, here's your solution. If you're running a traditional feeder that has, you know, those long legs that coons like to climb up, rob you blind, well, you just attach the Coonstopper to each leg. It's so easy. I just put one on a 300-pound all-seasons feeder, and (laughs) the results speak for themselves. Coons don't like it. They basically attempt one time, realize that it hurts, and they're done. Throw in the towel, just like that. It's the Coon Stopper, and you can find it at alamooutdoorworld.com. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at 3curl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Old shotgun is wood and steel. It don't breathe and it don't feel. But I like the way it shines in the frosty morning light. There's a deep track from our buddy Justin Bowerman bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you today. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsor, Lone Star Beer. This guitar, the name of that one, but you're not going to find it anywhere as it was never released. Uh, one that Justin played in studio for us. Gosh, had to be, it's got to be over a decade now. Uh, but still one of my favorites 
from a good friend and hunting buddy who's a main singer, songwriter in his own right. Uh, thank you guys and gals for being here, by the way, as we are talking all things shotgunning and wing shooting with Field and Stream shotgunning editor Phil Borgeli. And we're going to pick it back up with Phil. But before we do that, this segment of the presentation is brought to you by Vortex Optics and the Diamondback HD Spotting Scope Series. Um, starting at $499.99, these spotting scopes are an essential part of a backcountry kit. Uh, and they're not going to break the bank. You're going to get that Vortex quality glass and the best warranty in the industry. You break it, they fix it. No questions asked. And that is a lifetime transferable warranty. So uh, check it out. It's the Diamondback HD Spotting Scope Series, and you can find it at VortexOptics.com. Vortex, the force of optics. And with that being said, let's continue our conversation with Field and Stream Shotgun Editor Phil Borgeli. Appreciate you sticking around, Phil. Thank you. My next question is, is totally subjective, but certainly relevant to today's discussion. Mm-hmm. For a couple of fellows who've done a lot of wing shooting, you know, duck hunting is my first love, and long before I was ever into big game hunting, I was all about dove and ducks. Mm-hmm. And so that's still kind of, uh, if you put a gun in my head and said, what, you can only hunt one thing, I'd, I'd probably say something, you know, dove or ducks with my dog. I just, I love uh-huh. hunting with the dog. Anyway, I want to kind of rank the most difficult uh, types of, of wing shooting when it comes to, you know, different species. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's keep it just between the most common ones, dove, ducks, quail, pheasant, okay. grouse, and geese. And and I do, I mean, I got to say snipe, woodcock, uh, those things are aerial acrobats, but at least down in my neck of the woods, people just don't pursue them very often. Right. Uh, I might get a shot at one or two a year when I'm duck hunting and, you know, the mm-hmm. snipe love the marsh, um, but I don't ever just go out. And, and usually I miss because they are <laughs> such incredible uh, aerial flyers, but Mm-hmm. Um, as far as those are concerned, I'm going to put dove number one. Um, and, and I think it's just because they do come from so many different directions. There's so many different shots. They are so small. Um, what, what about you? That's a good, yeah, doves are, uh, you know, there's that statistic you read about how many shot shells are expended per dove bag. And it's something like five or six or seven. I can't remember what it is. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, and it is, you're right. It's a, you have to be an all-around shooter to to shoot doves, uh, because they do give you incoming shots and going away shots and overhead shots and crossing shots, and uh, and you're never quite sure which you're going to get. So it's uh, and you you add uh, some other shooters in the field and maybe a, a good breeze, and it can be pretty tricky. Yeah. All right, so you're going to put dove up there as well. I'm going to well, go. Yeah, I think we'll talk about it as as we go. Uh, doves, doves are certainly they can be up near the top. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna put quail as my second most difficult, and that's there's different reasons, uh, but a lot of times it's the going away shot. But the thing that really stuck out in my mind when I was thinking about this was the covey flush is a chaotic thing uh, with other hunters there. Everyone's got to be cognizant of where their barrel is pointing at all times. And then you throw in the fact that 12 birds just all flew up in different directions. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's and they're right in front of your face. And sometimes you don't even pull the trigger because you don't know if it's safe to do so. 
Yeah, there there is uh, confusion is their friend, yeah. um, and their and their strategy. But um, you know, quail are not actually. I hate to, no, they're not that fast. Yeah, when you actually see one fly. They are not that fast. My problem with quail is that I run into them sporadically while hunting pheasants. And if you're expecting a pheasant and you get a covey of little brown birds buzzing away in your face, it's it's even more disorienting. When I've been quail hunting when i'm expecting quail it's not nearly as bad uh but uh, i remember the first time i ever stepped in stepped into a covey of quail when i first started hunting i had no idea what it was i i really literally thought it was just like pieces of the earth were getting up like i stepped on i don't know <laughs> like a mine or something it was just like chunks of dirt they'll like, scare the crap out of you all around me it did yeah. and i know my gun was empty before any of them even reached the muzzle uh and then they all flew away. Yeah. So yeah, they are quail are disorienting. Um, I'm looking at your list. I'm going to say ruffed grouse, probably because uh, of where they live. Oh, let's see. Okay. Yep. That's a. Uh, I didn't look at it that way. I looked at it as grouse are so dumb. You know, I've literally shot them with a bow many times, but uh, they where where they where they live where I'm chasing them is in the mountains. Um, and so, yeah, that does add that degree of difficulty. And and the the brush. Now, as several years ago, are we talking about rough grouse, or what kind of grouse are we talking about? Yeah, rough grouse. Yeah, you know, I, I hunted in, in Minnesota and Wisconsin some, and I remember several years ago we were hunting, and the dogs went on point. I think it must have been a like an old beaver pond that had filled in, and turned into a meadow the way they do. Mm-hmm. There's some little scrubby cover right around the edge of it, and the dogs went on point. And I was sure it was a woodcock just because of where it was. And a grouse flushed, and I had an open shot at a rough grouse, which never happened. And it looked huge and slow, with no trees, you know, to give it add difficulty. It was a big, slow bird, and I shot it. And, and uh, but then you put that same grouse in the woods when you might not even see it; yeah. you might just hear it flush. Then, you know, you're happy sometimes just to get a shot off at a grouse. So. You know, you'll you'll flush way more than you see, and you'll see more than you shoot, and you'll shoot out a lot more than you'll hit. And you'll so, walk like five miles per bird. And you walk, and you walk a lot, yeah. yeah. Um, so I underranked my uh, the, the grouse. <laughs> sure. I, I would I would put grouse. Well, you know, it depends on your experience with grouse too. But uh, if, if you're fine, if you go someplace where they're dumb and you can shoot them as they're walking across the logging road, that's different. But. Uh, they're tough. Now again, not, it's not so much they're they're not fast either. And, yeah. And uh, but it's just where they live makes them hard. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm gonna put pheasant up here at number three, and the the main reason for that is that it seems more often than not they're flying straight away from you. Um, and that just going back to that straightaway shot and having to make sure that the uh, the bird is on top of the barrel. Um, you know. It's, yeah, it's it's difficult for me. And uh, get get very little respect as as uh wing shooting targets. Um but they are harder than people think. Um easier to miss than people think and easier not to kill. I mean they're they're tough birds and they are not uh and they're tough birds and active cripples. So actually putting one in the bag if you know if it, if that's what it, what you're calling a successful shot is yeah. hard, um, they need to be hit hard, and um, so yeah, I would I would agree with that. I would say they are they are underrated in their in the difficulty uh, 
and, and that going away shot and a lot of people who can't make any other kind of shot can make a certain amount of those going away shots but it is a, it's a harder shot than people think just because it's easy to shoot over uh you know people people talk about that tail feathers being distracted but i've been hunting pheasants for a long time and i have never seen a bird's tail feathers shot off yeah people shoot over the top of them is, is what's happening and uh in the second shot usually i, I figure this you got to get them with the first shot a lot of times on the going away one because by the time you shoot again they're they're so far away that again going back to the cripple or whatever mm -hmm. it's not a clean shot um, yeah on the other hand you know, you need to you have more time with that first shot than you think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that that causes a lot of misses too people want to you know you just react this bird gets up at your feet and it's startling and you feel like you're almost shooting in self defense and a lot of people shoot way too soon which is a good way to either blow a bird up or miss it completely or or even just mispoint a little bit and break a wing. There's there's a lot of things that can go wrong when you do that. And you do have more time. I remember years ago, I went hunting with a friend of mine who had taken the plug out of his Benelli, and a bird got up at his feet, and he emptied the gun at it. And I killed it after his gun was empty. Uh, <laughs> you've, got, <laughs> you've got more time than you think. Wow. wow. Um, and I, it wasn't even that long a shot when I made it. It was just fast on the trigger. Mm. Well, and you so, mentioned in, in my email I sent to you about what I wanted to discuss today, you mentioned chuckers too. Um, it's not something we have, or that I've, I've only ever hunted captive uh, chuckers. Right. Um, and, and with chucker, again, it's where they live. You know, if you, and I've only had a chance to do it once, uh, and it was hard. And we did it the easy way, and it was hard. It was, we hunted, it was in Idaho. And, uh, you know, the hard ways to, to go up from, from the bottom and, and chase the chuckers uphill and then they'll fly downhill. We went up, we're able to park on top and side hill around up, up where the birds were. Hmm. And it's still, it was, we were, you're sliding on, on volcanic rock and it's uneven and the footing is really bad. And then the birds tend to flush above you and go down, which is not a shot most of us see on upland birds very often. Yeah. So that you're getting a, while you're falling down the side of a mountain, you're trying to shoot a bird that is kind of curving down over your head and, and heading back down to the bottom. And that's hard uh, if you've never done it before. I shot a lot that day and didn't have much to show for it at the end. Uh, but it was fun. Yeah. Um, it was hard. I'm not sure. I may be, I may have aged out of chucker hunting by now, <laughs> but uh, uh. I, felt, I felt like I was too old for it when I did it a few years ago. Uh, but it was fun and, and it is, uh, totally different. And, and again, the, the difference is not, you know, they fly just the same way as those chuckers you shoot on a game farm. It's just, you put them on the side of a mountain. Right. And right. it's a whole different deal. Well, I'm going to put, uh, I'm going to put ducks in the number four spots. And well, that's with the caveat that early teal season is a separate entity because that's some seriously <laughs> sporty shotgunning. Um, but shooting a, a decoying puddle duck for me isn't very difficult i mean of course i've missed just like everyone else but when i'm looking at all these other things on the list uh ducks really if they're decoying and they're in your face not that hard no no i would say that the exception even more than teal i would put uh wood ducks dropping in you know into the roost pond yeah those are hard well those son of a guns don't decoy for crap anyway it's just uh Usually, it's just a passing shot. In my case, on a wood duck. Right. Well, I like to hunt. Um, 
I like to I like to go on a cloudy evening when they come back to bed early. Mm-hmm. Uh, you pick the right night, and they'll, you'll get about 20 minutes. You sit there, and you look at empty sky for an hour, and then all of a sudden, there's ducks everywhere. Mm. And you, know, you shoot two or three, and then you get out, and you watch them all come in, which I like that part as much as oh, yeah. the shooting part. But they come in really fast. <laughs> for, oh, for sure. Plunk down. Uh, and that's a hard shot. And, and you do the same thing if it's a hole in the woods. It gets really hard. Because then they just kind of like drop down through the trees like rocks. I would say the only uh, the only thing that gives them up a little bit is they're re- they're real noisy. Um, that, yes, you hear so, you do hear them coming. Yeah, uh, but I, I would that yeah that's a whole different level than shooting mallards hanging over the decoys. Yeah, yeah. What? Well, uh, and so would you agree with that? Like putting ducks there about number four out of these six we're talking about. Yeah, as long you know as long as we're not talking about like pass shooting or. Yeah. Um, and there's 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 plenty of ways to. Um, to increase the degree of difficulty with a duck, if you get your, if you're shooting with your feet stuck in the mud, or uh, you know off your back in a layout blind, which is how I do it. Oh yeah, that hunting. that does add a, a whole other element yeah. there. Most most of my duck hunting is in a layout blind on the edge of a pond. That makes it trickier, especially when you've got to twist off to your, you know, your right for most people, your left for me. Uh, but yeah, so there's and then your hands get cold. There's a lot of a lot of complicating factors, but no, you are right that a duck. A decoying duck, when it just hangs there, is not particularly hard to shoot. Yeah. But it might be my favorite. I don't know, maybe for that oh, yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I say I love watching stuff decoy. Yeah. That's um, really... I had geese ranked at number five. I'm going to switch that and put grouse there based off of all the things that we already discussed. Okay. And uh, I'm going to put geese last, and that's just because they're so damn big. Uh, and there's – I mean t- – Every situation is different, but if you've got mm-hmm. geese decoying in your face and you can't shoot a, a you know, twenty pound honker, uh, then I don't. None of those tips that you gave us are going to save you. <laughs> that, that is true. Uh, one thing I like to think about with geese is the head of a Canada goose is about the same size as a dove. Uh, so you can head shoot them if you're. I'm trying to. I'm trying to teach myself to do that. I. I get so excited when geese decoy because I, I love. Oh. Geese. I love eating. I love everything about geese. Um, and, uh, so I just kind of put the gun in front of them, and pull the trigger, which usually works, but it's a lot better if you can actually look at that for Canada, look at that white patch on the cheek and, and shoot that. And, uh, yeah, the whole, the whole head of a big honker is about the size of the, the part of the dove you want to hit. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they are big Yeah, and, uh, and they do, I, and, and I can, I can miss them, but yeah, and I, I like to let them come all the way in and backpedal when they're 15 yards away and backpedaling. And it's a pretty easy shot, but it's, it's exciting. It's about as exciting as, as wind shooting gets to me. I, I also enjoy it because once uh, one of those, especially, uh, you know, greater Canada is down, then the 55 pound lab has their work cut out for it. And I always like watching that game. Uh huh. Yeah. No, they're, they're, uh, ours are, the ones we shoot here late in the season are, are 12, 13 pounds, a lot of them, and uh, a lot of meat, too. There's, uh, there's, I like everything about it. I like that you can hear geese coming. Um, I like that they don't like spinners. You know, I, I love to watch them come into water when they when they drop down from way up high. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, yeah, the shooting is not not hard, but it's, uh, it's extremely rewarding. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I think uh, generally speaking, we kind of had the same same sentiments on 
on this. It would be interesting to see what the, the listeners take on on what they feel is the sportiest yeah. because everyone has their own opinion. But uh, that's I would say Dove is, like I said, the one that I struggle with the most. And at the end of the day, you look at – you might have got your 15 birds, but you look at how many shots you, it took, and you're like, wow, I, I really suck at this. <laughs> Whereas I don't even have to shoot a you know a half a box of shells to kill my six ducks most of the time. So right, it's uh, it's humil- it's it's humbling. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I, I I'm probably underrating quail. Uh, when when we're talking about difficulty, because I do uh, I've been down to Texas a couple times to, to hunt bob whites, and it's been it's been wonderful uh, in a good year. Yeah, and uh, and I did a Merns quail hunt a few years ago in Arizona. That was. Somebody told me that would be about like a backcountry elk hunt when I did it, and I was like, "Yeah, right, whatever." And it was pretty hard. It was uh, I wore a Fitbit that day, and we walked 15 miles and did 212 flights of stairs. Uh, you earned that. Yeah, we did. We and we found it was a good day. We found like a dozen cubbies of Mern's quail, which is a lot, I'm told. And uh, you know, I, I would do that again. Oh, that sounds that like again. a blast. Yeah, but, uh, but it was hard. It was physically. It was. It was pretty. Not, not as bad as Chuckers, but it was hard. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, it's going to do it for today. We're running out of time here, Phil. But man, it's been great to reconnect, and uh, always yeah, enjoy reading your your work. Um, where can where's the best place for folks to uh, to find you? Uh, well, Field and Stream. I, I do. I, that's my main Field and Stream and Ducks Unlimited. The two places that I. To outlets where I have to have the most uh, the most space these days, and I do the shotgun columns for both of them. Right on. Well, I certainly appreciate it. I hope you have a great dove opener and uh, too. a wonderful fall as well. We deserve that after what 2020's <laughs> been so far. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, that's the truth, my friend. Well, hey, Phil, take care, and we'll talk again hey, somewhere on down the too. line. Very good. Thank you. All right, Field and Stream and Ducks Unlimited's Phil Borgeli. Uh Great stuff there, as always, with Phil. That segment brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit Land is the one thing they're not making any more of. Whether you want it for wing shooting, fishing, deer hunting, running cattle, or you, know, you just want to get the hell out of Dodge, get out of the big city, Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers for over 100 years. They'll do the same for you. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We'll be right back with a very special musical guest. The great Joshua Ray Walker joins us right here in studio on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. three rounds in the Kate McKenna. With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm and Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com, the website, or call chat at 830-776-3605. Dallas Off-Road is North Texas' trusted 4x4 shop, specializing in lifts, wheels, tires, exterior upgrades, and gears and drivetrains. 
I recently took my factory Z71 Silverado into Dallas Off-Road and they handed me back a lifted beast of a truck that will get me around the deer least or just as easily tackle a perilous mountain road on my way to a backcountry elk hunt. Dallas Off-Road owner Jeff Swope is an avid hunter and gun enthusiast, so you'll have a lot to discuss when you swing by the shop or give him a call. Visit DallasOffRoad.com for all your truck or Jeep customization needs. Everybody back to the Lone Star. I'm George Show. Little Tyler Childers there for you. All Yorn, the name of that one. Uh, thanks to Lone Star Beer, our presenting sponsor. Thanks to you guys and gals for being here. And thanks to our next guest, Joshua Ray Walker, who is here in studio. We're going to get into our discussion. Here's some new music uh, from Josh here in just a second. But before we do that, this segment brought to you by the Pulsar Helion Thermal Monocular. If you like the original or if you've ever played around with thermal technology, Pulsar has done it again with the Helion 2.0. The crystal clear image quality that you expect, the diverse color palette, internal recording, it's all there. And this is a unit that I always have in my pack. If I'm I'm scouting, if I'm looking for thermal hogs, or if I'm just trying not to blow deer out of one of my bow setups, uh, that's where the Helion really shines. Plus, you'll get 20% off when you use my promo code Lone Star underscore PL. That's Lone Star underscore PL when you check out at PulsarNV.com. And that's good for any thermal or night vision, monocular, or optic. Okay. Well, let's bring him on right now. He's here in studio. He's got his guitar, which I'm excited about. It is my pleasure to welcome Joshua Ray Walker to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It is my pleasure, man. And why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself as far as where you're from. And I know you started playing music at a, a very early age. Um, I think maybe your grandfather had something to do with that. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Dallas. I'm a singer-songwriter from Dallas, Texas. And uh, I started playing music when I was a little kid. I grew up in a in a duplex in East Dallas, and uh, mm -hmm. I had a grandfather that lived next door across the porch and nice um yeah he was from he was from union county tennessee so he grew up on bluegrass music and he had a pretty big bluegrass record collection mm. um and he would just find these yard sale instruments and tinker around he was a novice uh musician he just kind of played for fun and um you know I, we spent a lot of time listening to records and eventually i just picked up the instruments and tried to play along and started playing tenor banjo when I was four and picked up guitar when I was six. Wow. Um, and just stuck with it. See, my parents made me take piano lessons when I was <laughs> seven, eight, mm -hmm. probably for like two years. And I hated it. I hated it so much. And it was a resentment thing with them because who wants to sit there and it was like a forced, it was like punishment almost. It wasn't fun. <laughs> now in my late thirties, looking back on it, I, I wish that I, you know, would have uh, retained that knowledge and, and kept right. going with it. But 
I wanted to be outside playing soccer. At the I time, was so. I was forced to play piano also. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was Y sports and mm-hmm. and piano lessons. And at some age, my parents decided I had to pick one or the other, and I picked I picked music. Made the right choice. Yeah, yeah. Um, but not piano lessons. So, just, <laughs> <laughs> so can uh, you play the piano today? No. Yeah, I can shape a few chords, but uh-huh. no, not right. really. Um, well, so you've been in the Ottoman Turks since I think 2012, 2012. Yeah. Uh, we put out our, we started recording in 2018, I believe. Okay. Uh, no, 2019 actually, Mm. but no, I, yeah, I've been with them since 2012. Um, I actually played my first solo show and my first Ottoman Turk show the same week. Wow. Yeah. Just by chance. And that happens to be the two projects that are still you know, trucking along. So with the solo thing picking up steam, you just put out your second record. Um, what has that been like with, with the guys in the band, the Ottoman Turks? It's always been a balancing act, uh-huh. you know. Um, when I, like I said, the shows both kind of started at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, Ottoman Turks had been a band for a few years uh, without me. I came in and replaced a guitar player. Um and but I grew up with those guys. I've known Billy the bassist since he was four and I was six, and yeah. um, I've known the other guys since junior high. Um, and so it was a real easy, you know, fit. I'd been watching their band for years, grow an audience and get better, and I really liked their band a lot. So when they asked me to come and and fill in on a few shows, I was really excited. And then, um. Then I just ended up sticking around. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they, because, uh, like, at first, Ottoman Turks had a bigger draw, um, and we were full band. So they always had priority on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I played a ton of solo shows. I think my first year playing, I played like 170 something shows. And over the next seven years, I was playing 250 plus every wow. year. And so I would play residencies all week. I would travel during the week. Every once in a while, I'd travel on the weekend. But I'd wait till about a month out to book my solo shows so that Ottoman Turks would always have priority in case any good weekend shows came up. Right. And then um, the guys went to A&M together. I stayed in Dallas. I was always traveling to play with them. And then everyone graduated, had to find jobs, and... You know, we started playing a little less, and at one point we liquidated the band account, and we weren't going to make it a public thing, but we pretty much broke up. Mm-hmm. And um, that same week, we got an offer to play a show at uh, Sundown at Granada, which is the side stage at Granada Theater in Dallas. And um, we decided to take it, and it's like, all right, this might be the last one. And we just put our all into it, and um, because of that, we ended up having my label state for records look, you know, take a look at us. And also we got our first show at the Granada theater, which was a huge, you know, milestone for us. That's like our dream venue. We've always wanted to play at. And so it's like, well, I guess we're keeping the the band together. And so we played our first Granada theater show and uh, state fair records decided to put out an album and it just snowballed and the band never broke up. Um, but at the same time, my solo career was growing. So, um, you know, I told the guys I was going to have to focus on touring the record when I put out Wish You Were Here in 2019, and it's just a constant, you know, balancing Juggling, act. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you have another record out, which 
I imagine was a real unfortunate reality putting a record out during a pandemic. Uh, yeah. We talked about on, off the air how this thing has financially impacted both of our businesses in yeah. a negative way. Um, it's uh, it's been terrible, and and at least I can sit here and do this with you, right, and have this yeah. this discussion. Let you play your music. Uh, you can't go to a bar and and play, which the majority of of a musician's revenue on in here, in, you know, the Texas scene yeah. is is generated from live shows. Yeah, definitely. And, it's, and then trying to put out an album on top of that. I know. I mean, <laughs> we. So I had just put out the video for Voices, which mm-hmm. was the first single off of my new record, Glad You Made It, and on a Friday. And that next Wednesday, South by Southwest was canceled. And, you know, the dominoes just started falling. Yeah. Um, I had a couple surprise shows set up for South by. We were going to put out a press announcement that I had a new record. Everything was kind of based around South by and then coming out of South by, I had this whole tour schedule set up to promote the record and, uh, it all fell apart and we scrambled and panicked for about a month and put a new game plan together and pushed the record back almost two months. It was going to come out in May. We put it out in July. Um, and we just had to figure out how to, you know, and we haven't figured it out yet, but me and state for records, we're just trying to figure out, you know, what does the music business look like now? Right. Right. And um, I think our our live streaming shows going to be something you think is going to be here for, you know, in perpetuity. I think that it will have a lasting effect. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if it'll be as prevalent once venues do. You know, we get a vaccine and venues reopen, but I think that it'll be something that people at least think about. Right. You know, um, pay per view type stuff, live streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's here to stay and just video content in general. That's something that some artists were already really good at and it's a great way to grow your audience and stuff. I am not particularly good at it and I've had to learn, you know, during this time, but it is a good way to, you know, stay in touch with your audience and have a more personal connection, which is really good. Um, but yeah, beyond the financial effect, I mean, just the noise floor created by all the COVID-related articles and everything, trying to have your record seen and heard right now is so difficult. So I feel like, you know, just a lot of sweat right. <laughs> was put into it on the, you know, on my part, my promoter's part, my label, you know, we just had to work three times as hard to mm-hmm. get the same results. Well, you mentioned uh, voices. That's that was actually the first um, single of yours that I heard. Yeah, and I think Jennifer sent it over. Cool. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, this is this is great. Why don't we uh, Why don't we take a listen to it? Yeah, let's do it. We good? Good. I stare in my reflection Through the bottles behind the bar I didn't know hate could feel this good Behind the wheel of a car I might put this truck in neutral Let it roll into the lake First I'll finish off this bottle So it looks like a mistake A hoe Strength is 
strengthens the beast. Oh Lord, please give me peace. Save me from a funeral pyre I told you I loved you You called me a liar Yeah, I've carried fire And I've waded through a flood You dried me on a wire He bathed me in the blood Oh Strengthens the beast. Be lucky if you're in one piece. Holy name. Thank you. Yeah. The uh, music video is somewhat interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, set around a hotel room, by and large, different people coming in and out. Yeah, it was filmed in a house in Arlington. Okay. Um, but yeah, predominantly kind of takes place in that one bedroom. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a wacky house <laughs> for sure, and you know I that's kind of, that's what I envisioned for the for the video and I think Josh Jordan my director and Chad Wyndham the videographer they really brought it to life kind of exactly how I envisioned it in my head so yeah. I'm super happy with how it turned out if you haven't seen it go check it out it's a really weird music video it's awesome <laughs> I, yeah I love it let's do uh, let's do this let's keep the tunes rolling do another one uh, I know we talked about uh, Boat Show Girl yeah and um, your upbringing was a little interesting on on that side of things which is you know i'll let you talk a little bit about this tune yeah it's called boat show girl i I grew up at trade shows um vintage car shows um 
NASCAR events, monster truck rallies. My mom did radio and, and uh, PR for uh, radio stations and motorsports companies and things like that. And my dad was a uh, avid fisherman. Every weekend he was out on the lake fishing. He liked to bass fish. If uh-huh. I went with him, we'd usually fish for catfish or crappie or something. Yeah. Um, when you so, went with him. When I went with him, So yeah. that he could keep your, your interest up. Cause right. That's cause, more catching. Bass fishing is more Yeah, I know. He, he tried to take me bass fishing <laughs> when I got a little older. And I was like, oh. You know, it's just like yeah. out there in the reeds. My you know. son's seven. So it's funny because I'm going through that now as a parent. Yeah. Where it's like, he doesn't want to go bass fishing. He wants to go bluegill catching. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you lose $5 lures every 10 minutes yeah. and keep tangling. You know, it's a lot more finesse than yeah. throwing a line in the water and pulling a crappie up every, you know, three or four casts. Absolutely. Um, tying up under a bridge, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that definitely held my interest. Um, but my dad always wanted a bass boat, right? So we would, uh, you know, I think growing up we had a kingfisher uh, with a 40-horse Evan Rude mm-hmm. and, um, you know, turn, stick on one side, throttle on the other. That's all, no steering wheel. I forget what the actual name for the, you know, y'all stick, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, I think we got it for like 600 bucks with the trailer or something when I was a kid. And we just dogged that thing. We took it out every week. And we we're always patching it, you know, and stuff. I'm getting this visual of Alan Jackson's uh, song Drive right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, we'd go look at the big sparkly Ranger, you know, boats or, or whatever. And, um, you know, I knew the girls that worked those shows through my mom, mm-hmm. um, personally, like, you know, not as a bikini model, but as a person. Yeah. And so I guess I had this kind of behind the scenes look. So whenever I'd see these girls promoting products at shows, I kind of thought, first of all, I thought it was weird that there were always girls in bikinis at family friendly <laughs> events, which you guess you don't see as much anymore, but in the nineties it was oh, like yeah. real prevalent. And, and then, you know, they're, you know, trying to sell next year's ride on lawnmower with your uncle Larry, you know, sitting on it, taking pictures and you'd see him turn around and kind of like do a little eye roll or, you know, there's always that wink and a nod. And I, I guess I kind of understood, you know, that they were performers more Mm -hmm. than anything. And for some reason that stuck with me and that's what the song's about. Let's take a listen. You sparkle like a diamond Brighter than the boats you stand around Your gaze is somewhere yonder Woman, eye you up and down Those five-inch heels ain't nothing Compared to what you left back home Yeah, you ain't even chilly But you're wearing skin and bone You stand there on your altar Astro turf beneath your feet like a redneck statue of liberty This phrase rings out as you greet Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses Waiting on the shore May you board this fiberglass vessel And not feel empty anymore 
freedom ain't that free And happiness can be cheap For zero down and less than you spend On cigarettes every week You can take this beauty home And treat her like you should Just like every boat show girl wishes that you would Your mascara's running Wins a foot race every time You're good at what you're doing You can stop them on a dime Bathed in sequins A beacon when daddy did you wrong Yeah, fake tan covers bruises But it doesn't last that long and Freedom ain't that free And happiness can be cheap Zero down and less than you spend On cigarettes every week You can take this beauty home And treat her like you should Just like every boat show Girl wishes that you would Freedom ain't that free And happiness can be cheap For zero down and less than you spend On cigarettes every week Take this beauty home And treat her like you should Just like every boat show Girl wishes that you would Yeah, just like every boat show Girl wishes that you would That's uh, an interesting childhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you said some of these uh, boat show girls became babysitters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom worked in marketing, and sometimes she was in charge of hiring. You know, the girls that wear the bikini around the boat, holding the price, or you know, talking to guys, looking over the pamphlet or whatever. And yeah, I mean, she got to know them, and you know, they came to They're birthday parties. Too. Yeah, they came to birthday parties, and. You know, a couple of them were my babysitters, so, That's yeah. Awesome. Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll come back, hear a couple more tunes. I know you you have a, a little hog hunting experience going to East Texas to do bit, some yeah. uh, population control. We'll get into that as well. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good. Perfect. And that segment was brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. They've got locations in San Antonio and Marion, just outside of New Braunfels. They've been taking care of me as far as all of my taxidermy goes for over a decade josh and becky gunther are awesome people and amazing wildlife artists you should check them out i uh i think it's one of the best decisions i've ever made and the studio and trophy room are proof of that whether it's a, a wolf in canada a white-tailed deer in texas a 10 pound largemouth bass that you want a replica of they do it all they do amazing work and offer fast turnaround time. You can find them at grthenumber8mounts.com. We'll be right back with more from Joshua Ray Walker on the Star Outdoor Show. Because if you're big star 
bound. Let me warn you, it's a long hard ride. British Columbia is world-renowned for its beauty and wildlife, and Vancouver Island is revered as a magical place by hunters. Vancouver Island Coastal Bear Adventures specializes in taking mature trophy black bears with 18-inch minimum skulls in the 6.5 to 7.5-year range. They also have Roosevelt elk tags and only take Boone and Crockett bulls each fall. 60% of their guiding area is located on private land. So whether you're looking for a Boone or black bear, once-in-a-lifetime Roosevelt elk, or a giant cougar, They've got the hunt for you. Visit VancouverIslandBearHunt.com to book your hunt today. That's VancouverIslandBearHunt.com. Howdy, folks. I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's, once again, the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com today. Dream it is a difference in believing and making, living or loving what you do. Raising a family among strangers and wildcatters who are brought here by the boat. We'll Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. One of my favorites there from Flatland Calvary. Tall City Blues, the name of that one. So great to be here, by the way, talking outdoors with you today, hearing some great new music as well from Joshua Ray Walker, who is still here in studio. Uh, certainly a treat to have him with us. Before we jump back into that conversation, however, this segment of today's presentation is brought to you by Stealth Cam's amazing DS4K camera, offering the highest video quality trail camera on the market. It's the DS4K. You can find it at stealthcam.com. Well, let's uh, let's get back into it here with Joshua Ray Walker, who was nice enough to stick around through the break. Certainly appreciate you doing that, Josh. Yeah. It's great to have you here in studio. Now, you mentioned that your dad was a big bass fisherman. Yeah. You didn't grow up doing much hunting, though. No, he'd go out to a deer lease. I guess for a while there, he went about every year with his buddies. Uh-huh. Um guys from high school or from work or whatever yeah um but when he was doing that i was probably a little too young and it was also a guy's trip so right. you don't yeah. drag your kid along to every hunting trip i'm uh-huh. sure you take your kids with you sometimes yeah, yeah but there's ones where they're not invited yeah sure. um and so he only went about once a year so i usually didn't go on that he never did any you know pheasant or duck or mm-hmm. any, anything like that it was all pretty much just whitetail yeah. um and but when I was a little older, uh, we went and, like you said, did some population control, killed some some pigs out in East Texas. Yeah, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So <laughs> that experience, though, you're looking back on it and you're saying how much fun it was. Um, is that something you'd want to do again? Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm open to go hunting again. <laughs> I just haven't had the opportunity. Well, all you musicians are kind of in the same boat. You get invited on the weekends, but that's when you're playing shows. Yeah, for sure. 
And as you know, it's an expensive hobby. That it is. I haven't gone. I haven't gone golfing either. You know, it's, right. it's kind of yeah. Right. It's uh yeah. I just haven't had the opportunity yet. Uh huh. So, if you had to pick one childhood memory of of spending time in the outdoors with your dad, does is there anyone that comes to mind uh, above the others? Um. Maybe you hooked him in the head, and you're you know. When you're casting, or <laughs> my youngest brother did that to my dad. So, <laughs> I, we definitely hooked each other multiple times. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, that boat was tiny, and I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, man, there's so many. I went with him on the weekend so much. Um, what lake did you guys typically go to? If it was a quick trip, we'd go to Lake Ray Hubbard. Mm-hmm. Um, it was easy to get the boat in the water at that one blue and white marina right off right off the highway i can't think yeah. of the name right now um and then we went to lake fork a lot for striper um and we went to uh bob sandlin oh, go nice. go fish the uh i think bob sandlin's the one with the power plant right uh or the water know, they have a center good or something hybrid like fishery there yeah hybrid stripers there. and so there's a i'm pretty sure there's a power plant or something like that heats mm-hmm. the water up and we used to go fish by the by the dam i've only fished there one time i can't remember yeah but, uh, we got he's got a couple uh couple secret mm-hmm. spots out there my dad has a coveted uh map of cedar creek also oh, wow. that he found somewhere that was an old uh fishing guides map and it's got the coordinates of a bunch of good spots <laughs> and he won't even let his brother treasure shit. map yeah, yeah. um That's so funny. a lot of that but best memory i don't know i think you know, there was a time we went through, we grew up working class and, mm-hmm. you know, times are up and down. And I remember we had, we there was a time, we always kind of had some boat around. Like I said, that $600 Kingfisher. Mm-hmm. And then there were a couple times we'd get a bass boat and as you know, you know, they break down and you sell them. And, oh, yeah. Um, but there was this time where we didn't have a boat. I think it's the only time I can remember where my dad didn't have something he could go fishing in. And I hadn't gone with him in a while, and he took me night fishing. And we went out to a marina, I think it was on Lake Ray Hubbard, and sat inside this little, I mean, it was a boat slip, Mm -hmm. but it had a cover, and it was just for fishing. But I don't remember ever being in there. I don't know why we went in there that night. Um, But we just kept catching fish, and we stayed up all night, (laughs) you know, till the sun came up, because we just kept catching fish. And we had a, you know, our minnow bucket there and we were being super careful with the bait because the marina was closed and we had to kind of ration out, you know, the minnows mm-hmm. we had left. And, uh, yeah, it's, that one's just always kind of been burned in my memory. You got those yeah. super bright yellow, you know, bug repellent lights and <laughs> I can remember how it looks and the smell and, you know, it's fishy. And yeah, I just, I remember that one uh-huh. really well. Very cool. Very cool. Let's take a listen to another tune, current single, out on radio right now, and it's a little bit of a a yeehaw. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you're going way to Austin. That ain't no place for me But if you 
wanna find me Dallas is where I'll be I'm gonna sit in this bar in Dallas Till I drink all these cans dry Till I see that ivory palace I'm a cowboy until I die Cause I'm a robo-head bronco billies You said you wouldn't care if it killed me I didn't come here looking for a fight I rode bold tonight So uh, tell us a little bit about that tune. Yeah, so it's called Bronco Billies. Mm-hmm. I found a, a button. I, I I talked about my grandfather earlier and uh, my other granddad, my dad's dad. Uh, his name was uh, Billy Walker, and I assume he picked up this button because it said Billy on it. But it said, I rode the bullet Bronco Billies. Mm-hmm. This big white and red you know, button in honky-tonk font. Yeah. And I... Uh, he passed away, and we were cleaning out the house. Uh, and I found it in his dresser drawer, held on to it. Uh, and a few years later, I found it in my box of, you know, keepsakes or whatever, and s- started Googling, you know, that because I was curious. And it, it ended up being a, a, a honky tonk in South Dallas uh, that opened in the late 70s or early 80s, you know kind of rode that urban cowboy boom and then closed Thanks, John Travolta. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then closed down sometime in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, South Dallas is pretty rough. You know, oh, yeah. I don't know where you grew up, but uh, in Dallas. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, South Dallas has some rough parts and my granddad and my dad are uh, both from Pleasant Grove. And, so, you know, it was pretty rough. And I was just thinking about who would have been at that honky-tonk on the night it closed. Who were the the diehards that weren't going to let, you know, the mechanical bull die. Uh, that were, you know, sitting on their spots they probably had, you know, at the bar for years. And because of that, this was early on in my songwriting career, I wrote a bunch of songs all based on these characters. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of stuck with me. I've 
continued to write these character driven songs like Boat Show Girl and and uh and Bronco Billy's. So um yeah, that's it. Bronco Billy is just a guy who, you know, his girlfriend wants to move off to Austin. He doesn't want to go. He wants to stay and ride the mechanical bull mm. and <laughs> drink beer with his buddies and come home and get in trouble. He's the smart one in that relationship. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he was just one of the people in my mind that would have been at that bar the night it closed. Awesome, man. We're running out of time, but I do want to hear Canyons. Uh, I think this was probably the most popular song off of your debut record. Yeah, man, this started it all. I, uh, I was making an EP with my producer and he asked me why I wasn't making a record. And I told him because I didn't have any money. Because same reason every musician doesn't right. make a record. He asked me what else I had. I played him this. We cut a demo. He showed it to State Fair Records. Two months later, I was in the studio cutting my debut record. And then it took off in Europe. And I was able to go tour Europe because of this song. And uh, yeah, just really, this song did a whole lot for my career in 2019. Awesome. Let's take a listen. But my feet can't take me far well, This is my, my own doing So I tell stories at the bar Yeah, I'm afraid of flying Afraid of falling, truth be told I don't get closed edges I'm afraid that I'll let go I'm a big, big man Not just in size or in stature Terms of space that can't be filled I'm a bottomless canyon Without a drop to spill Are you proud of me? Are you proud of what I do? I'll try to be a better man than the one that you knew I will miss you when you're not around Though I wasn't around for you When your broken body's in the ground I hope there's room for two I'm a big, big man not just in size or in stature Terms of space can't be filled I'm a bottomless canyon Without a drop to spill
there you have it, Canyons. And that is off of uh, Joshua Ray's first record. Wish you were here. And both that and then the new record. Glad you made it. Are available on all streaming platforms. Man, it has been a real treat getting to know you a little bit. Yeah, thanks and, for having uh, me. Yeah, hey, next time uh, you put a record out, open invite. Well, thanks. Yeah, yeah. it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Joshua Ray Walker, everyone. Great stuff. Man, what a treat having him in studio. Uh, big fan of his music. And I think, what a bright future. I think he's just getting started. Uh, that segment was brought to you by Our Luck Outfitters, offering the finest in Newfoundland moose hunting. I went there last October, shot a beautiful bull. Uh, didn't cost me Henry. Didn't have to give him my firstborn child either. So budget-friendly if you're interested and hunting a big old bull moose, give them a shout or look them up. Actually, don't do that because you'd have to call Canada. But <laughs> you can find them at ourluckoutfitters.com. Uh, fortunately, we are out of time for today. Thanks to Joshua Ray as well as Phil Borgeli of Field and & Stream and Ducks Unlimited. We'll do it again same time, same place next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors. For making this show possible, more importantly, thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of today's presentation. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. He never said too much about home or the bruises on his back. I asked him about him one time, but he never answered back. Yeah, William... Grew up hard and mean 